Welcome back to Nate the Hate, where I am once again joined by everyone's favorite Australian mate, MVG. What's up, Nate? Great to be here. Always great to have you. And today we have a topic that you and I really want to give the in-depth attention that it really deserves. And that is crunch time in the video game industry. Because this is a topic we have seen come up several times over the last few years, particularly with games like Witcher 3, Red Dead Redemption 2, a little bit with Cyberpunk, and it's come up once again with Naughty Dog's The Last of Us Part 2, which is slated to come out in just a few weeks in mid-May. And this all spurred because there was an article on Kotaku last week from Jason Schreier, where he interviewed some of the developers at Naughty Dog, and they expressed, I guess you would say, dissatisfaction with the way management at Naughty Dog has handled the development of The Last of Us Part Two, and they cited a lot of crunch hours, and you had one of the lead anima- animators, Jonathan Cooper, come out on Twitter to say, even though he didn't experience a lot of crunch himself, he did see it in other departments, and he went as far as basically attacking management, saying that they just, they hired a lot of junior engineers and had Naughty Dog had more senior staff, they probably could have released the game last year. And that's that's a pretty damning, you know, accusation because because Naughty Dog is that prestigious studio for Sony. And to come with an accusation like that has kind of left people feeling a bit mixed in his overall statements though he does have some validity to what he was saying. So let's, what was let's yeah, not forget, your reaction let's, to that? Let's not forget uh, Neil Druckmann's uh, clapback oh. as well. <laughs> yeah, like right after those tweets came out, like the following day, he comes back like, we have some great animation in The Last of Us Part Two, And yeah, you're right, you do, because you had one of the best animators in the industry, Jonathan Cooper, working on the game. And like immediately Druckmann was there to spin it and like, we're a great studio, everybody. Like, good job. So my thoughts on this, Nate, uh, this is a little, this is very complex for me. This is not a cut and dry discussion. And it's going to be a couple of things that I'm going to say that you may not agree with. And that's fine. I mean, you know, we've always <laughs> said that this is a, a healthy discussion, not an argument or a disagreement. And I think right. that there may be some points that I bring, bring that you may not, you know, agree with or the listeners may not. But the first thing I'm going to say is Shirai's article was a bit of a hit piece on this. And you may not agree with that, but the way that I kind of see this is that crunch is one of those things that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people and, and companies. There are some companies that kind of embrace crunch as part of their culture. And I know that that doesn't sound very good. And I'll I'll get into some examples, you know, as we as we talk through this. And it, it also can be a very negative thing, and that is people burn out, they don't know what to do, they end up quitting their jobs and, and going elsewhere and, and really having a bad experience. And there are other folks that kind of ride things out in the hopes that things will get better or they'll get promoted or they'll get offered a full-time position, you know, so that carrot gets dangled in front of them to, you know, if you stick around... We'll, we'll, we'll get you where you need to be. So just, you know, work these long hours for now, but we promise you that things will get better, that type of mentality, which I think is very bad. Yeah, and I'll, I'll explain that as well. But for me, look, man, this is Naughty Dog. They make some of the best, they've made some of the best games ever. 
you know and i yeah. i kind of compare this to the the kind of analogy about the best albums in music history you know the people that that wrote these like legendary rock albums or legendary r&b records they didn't come in to work or to the studio at nine o'clock and, and, and punch out at five and say hey good job they worked all night on on this stuff you know they busted their ass they went above and beyond and i think naughty dog has the same kind of mentality you know we make some of the best games in the industry you know we we have to work above and beyond just a regular nine to five in order to succeed and i think there's a lot of people that work there that really believe that and and they're on board with that approach but the sad unfortunate part is is that ultimately the 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 article was written in such a way that really kind of outlined and and illustrated the the number of i'll say contract junior employees that were brought in to to really kind of address the problem of the lateness of the game being delayed but as we both know i mean those those types of things don't really happen so a lot of different things to to kind of digest there it's not a, a cut and dry thing and you know for me i I, I'm not surprised when Naughty Dog is crunching on a game, or I'm not surprised if CD Projekt Red is crunching on the game. These guys make some of the best games in you know in video games, and and it really takes a, a mammoth effort in order to get there. And so you know for, for Schreier to make that article, I I didn't really feel like it really brought to light anything that that wasn't that obvious in the first place, and I just kind of felt like. He was just, you know, doing an expose on something that, in my mind, didn't really need to be discussed. But I also do agree with the, you know, the issue of there is definitely a management, you know, problem there at Naughty Dog. Right. I mean, we've seen over the years, I mean, it's typically the articles do come from Jason Schreier, whether it was about CD Projekt Red or Rockstar with their recent games. He's the one to really put the, you know, that spotlight on crunch in the industry and i remember reading articles dating back as far as 2007 on naughty dog and crunch within the studio because they lost a lot of their development staff during the development of uncharted one for the playstation 3 because the game it was a technical nightmare they were having a lot of issues and they had a mass exodus of employees almost leading up to launch i think it was only about six months out from the release of the game they were losing employees almost every day because of the strenuous work environment that was going on at the studio mm -hmm. and i mean i'm not an advocate for crunch in a development studio and like you use the music reference for you know some of the rock stars coming in and i think my main rebuttal to that topic would be if i'm a music star or even you know i'll say youtube if i'm personally crunching for the project i have passion for at least it's my choice. I'm not being told by a superior that I have to come in, work nine to midnight. I have that that freedom to say I'm you know I'm pulling an all nighter. I'm working the next thirty six hours straight on this project because I have the passion for it and it's made at my own volition. Which I mean, that actually we kind of we saw that happen today with the Doom creative director Hugo Martin came out and he said in an interview that to him it's not really crunch. Mm -hmm. And he goes on to say, this is going to sound hokey, but to him, it's a lifestyle. He lives and breathes this. And he said, no one makes me stay at the office. Even when I come home, I see my kids, I do my thing. And then I, do, I just do research. 
The research is playing video games, reading comic books. It's all part of his ambition to engross himself in pop culture that he can then take and put into the video game. So for him, it seems like he just, he goes to work, he comes home, and it's always on his mind. It's his passion. He doesn't mind if he's working a 70-hour work week. Whereas, as you kind of brought up the contract worker, they signed, you know, maybe a 36-month contract with Naughty Dog. And if I'm there working a 70-hour week, even, you know, for half those 30 months, at the end of those 30 months, most contract employees are released. They're terminated from the contract and they have to go to a, a new, you know, a new studio for a new job. So I can see them, they're getting burned out. They're not really feeling wanted or even, they're not getting adequately, I guess, credit for the work they do. So once that job is over, it's over. They have to find something else. Now, if I'm a full-time employee, I have my benefits. Ideally, I'm getting paid by the hour so I can get some overtime. But if I'm on a salary, you know, you're still going to face those burnouts. And when a project has too many employees who are suffering from burnout, the the end result is going to show that you're not going to have the passion for the project anymore. Yeah. And I mean, I, those are the dangers of crunch. But then, as like Martin put in his interview, he doesn't view it as crunch. He just views it as it's a lifestyle. It, it, that's a good point. You know, like... Um... Let, let's use me as an example. I've worked in in IT for uh, for many many years, and I've been in the situation where I've led development teams and I've led you know twenty plus developers on on projects. And I can tell you from experience that you know you have to take care of your employees. If if you don't, if you if you bring in some contractors, and I've I've done this before. If you bring in contractors, you have to make them feel like they're part of the team. You have to put them under your wing. They have to be mentored and they have to understand and get up to speed on how the business works, how 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 for them to be successful in the work that they're trying to get done and really just, you know, make them assimilate into your work environment without making them fail. I mean, your job is to make your people, as a manager, your job is to make your team successful because that makes you successful as a manager. And then when it's time for you as a manager to get a uh, review at the end of the year, you did a great job because you successfully led these people to, you know, to do great things. And it sounds like from, from what we're hearing that Naughty Dog did not, or has not let that, you know, has not made that happen in some instances with their with their juniors and the contractors they're brought in and really i think that's that's kind of the root cause here of 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 why this has become what it is is because it's because they haven't really got the appropriate kind of mentorship program in place to help these juniors grow or or if if they do maybe they're just too busy and no one really has the time to to help them, you know, do do their work or, or get them up to speed anyway. I'm not really sure which one it is, but it doesn't really matter which one it is at the end of the day. I mean, either way, anyone that you bring in is going to have to fend for themselves. Now, some some people, you know, some juniors or some people, contractors you bring in, they're really smart people and they'll ask, they'll bug people and, and ask the right questions and get the answers they need in order to get what they need done. But a lot of them won't and, and really... Again, it goes back to management that's really kind of failed 
the, these people. And I think, you know, if Shirai's article outlined anything, it's that, you know, management really needs to take a look at themselves and the way that they they handle these things because bringing in, you know, we'll say 20 junior developers to, you know, to boost a timeline and get, get things over the line so you don't have to delay the game again I mean that's never going to work. That 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 is mm-hmm. that's that's kind of a rookie move. It's it's a a desperate move to, you know, to kind of appease your, you know, your manager or your your uh, executive that hey, you know, we we we're, we're bringing in more people to get this project done. Everything's fine. Don't panic. We're on schedule. But it it really works out that way because like I said that those folks will need you know the appropriate training and guidance for for that to actually happen and and that is in of itself takes takes some time to to accomplish right that's kind of my takeaway from the schreier article was that it seems as though naughty dog wasn't really incubating new or even old talent well within the studio because in the Cooper thread on Twitter, he was saying a lot of senior staff had left during the development of the game over the last couple of years. And that they basically were bringing on just junior bodies to fill those roles. But while they were training the juniors to fill the role necessary, they were also trying to advance in work. So as you said, you have to train them. So even if I have to train them four to six weeks, at the same time during those four to six weeks, I'm also trying to make progress on the game. So now what normally could have been actually six weeks of progress on the game with a senior staff member, now we probably only made maybe two to three weeks of progress because I'm also training. I have more people. So you can't just throw bodies at the situation. And it also sounded like Naughty Dog extended their vision of the game because they were bringing on more junior engineers and programmers. And instead of just staying at that 100-yard finish, they said, why don't we go for 120 yards now because we have more people? And that's that's poor management decision. You should stick to your original vision, your original goal, and set out to achieve that. You don't add to it just because you have more bodies working on the project. Yeah, that's because as that's, you said, that's very dangerous if they do to do yeah. that. I mean, why not just bring out a DLC after the fact? You know, with with the kind of the extras that they were they were thinking about doing. You know, exactly. And I mean, the weird thing with the Schreier article or any interview or expose you'll ever see online or in print is that it's always easier to get a disgruntled former employee to talk than a happy employee. Yep. Because a disgruntled one may have a personal vendetta. They're going to air their grievances more openly because at that point they have no loyalty to the company. Now, that's not to say that their, you know, grievances are necessarily wrong. They are they are worth what they're worth. They're enlightening. They give light to the topic. And I mean, I don't think cooper in any way is a disgruntled employee i think he left naughty dog on good terms you can look through his twitter timeline where he he praised working there he loved working at naughty dog for i believe it was five years until he finally left but something set him off where he did not like the direction of the studio or how he was being treated there anymore that caused him to you know leave the studio so sometimes what we do see like in the schreier articles it is honesty Mm-hmm. They are just simply, they're disappointed with, you know, what happened to the studio they had a passion for. And it almost sounded like maybe Naughty Dog was taking advantage of juniors who 
their dream job was to work for Naughty Dog. And they knew they would do anything to work for them. And, you know, part of that anything was you're working 65 hours for the next, you know, every for the week for the next eight months. But it was never it was never asked of them, right? It was implied, you know, it was, you know. Right. Um, it, you do this, right. you're going to look good to, you know, Druckmann or, you know, whoever. You're going to look good to the management. And when we're done, we're going to remember you did this. Yep. And we'll so, offer you like, a position or we may offer you a position. Yeah, it kind of, you know, it lights the fire under your ass to hopefully get more productivity out of you. But you're, you're kind of, you're chasing the canary in the coal mine, hoping there's light at the end of that tunnel. But then the game might ship and they might say, thanks, here's your pink slip, bye. It sounds like The Last of Us 2 is Naughty Dog's most ambitious, biggest project that they've ever done, at least from a timeline mm-hmm. perspective. It seems like this game is, has been in development for years and it's obviously just you know just over a month away and uh, i'm looking forward to it i think it's going to be an excellent game i've I've already been reading about how you know the insiders are considering this their best game and i have no reason to not not believe that i loved the first last of us game so i think this will be excellent where does naughty dog go from here after the last of us part two because PlayStation 5's around the corner. There's going to be questions asked, you know, what's Naughty Dog going to do for the next generation? Are they going to pick up Uncharted? The question really is, do they learn anything from from this development life cycle with The Last of Us 2? Do they take a good hard look at themselves and say, okay, we can't afford to to do what we did over the last five years because it cost us really good employees and people that left the company as well as it cost us uh, a delay in the game. So how do we, how do we alleviate these things? You know, what do you think they, they, they do anything different this time or do you think they'll just kind of, you know, do what's familiar to them and, and just continue with the way that they've been going? That is a great question. And I think they keep the status quo because as much as these articles come out about crunch and you will see gamers go to forums and Twitter and say, I'm not going to buy the last of us part two or red dead redemption two or whatever game that the crunch article exposes the masses at the end of the day, they don't care. They're going to buy the game. They're going to sell millions of copies. And I think if I'm a company like naughty dog, what I'm doing is it's legal. And as long as it's legal, why should I change my practices from a business perspective? Like I'm, I'm losing talent, but I'm also bringing in new, fresh talent from ambitious young college graduates who want to make a name for themselves. And that, that well, you can, you're going to milk that dry. If you have to, you're always going to find new talent. You're going to hire from other studios by, you know, offering them lucrative contracts so I don't think anyone is necessarily going to look at this one instance and learn from it. I think the only way we really see change is if the industry itself forces it on them, where you see bigger developers and even publishers come out and say, we're cracking down on crunch time to do this. We're, our, we're going to limit our developers 40 hours a week. We're basically... 
you'd have they have to unionize Mm -hmm. and i'm not sure if the gaming industry is at this point in this day is ready for that because i mean we've seen it in other industries like the automobile industry you unionized and the companies took a lot of work overseas and china is a up-and-coming market for and you know they they're doing a lot of asset work for numerous studios you send out whatever you can to those studios and china is happy to take those contracts and they will produce for you they will work a hundred hours a week if that's what you demand of them to get that contract done and even if they keep the work here we've said for years sixty dollars is undervaluing the games that come out which is why we saw the rise of microtransactions and downloadable content because the the last of us part two is worth far more than $60. But is the industry ready to pay 80 or a hundred dollars for that game? And right now my answer would be no. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's willing to drop a hundred dollars on a single PS4 or even PlayStation five game. And correct me if I'm wrong. There's no multiplayer in this one, right? They, they said that. Right. It's just a single player game. They came out early on saying we weren't doing multiplayer. It wasn't part of our vision at the time. I think, they implied that it was going to be something that they were looking to in the future as a possible, I guess you would say a downloadable add on, but it's nothing that we have seen or heard of since that initial statement. I was um, doing a video on doom for uh, for my YouTube channel this week, and I was doing some research on the original doom that came out in 1993. And there was one little uh, quote or article that I read that, that really got me interested especially it's relevant for this topic and i'll read it out to you it says doom's original release date was at the third quarter of 1993 which the team did not meet by december 1993 the team was working non-stop on the game with several employees sleeping at the office programmer dave taylor claimed that working on the game gave him such a rush that he would pass out from the intensity i i ID software or id software began receiving calls from people interested in the game or angry that it had missed the planned release date after at midnight on december 10th 1993 after working for 30 hours straight the development team at id uploaded the first episode of the game to the internet so my question to to you nate is crunch is not something that is is new it's it's always been there and it's and crunch is something that exists in every single work environment you'll ever you'll ever be involved with like it doesn't matter what line of work you're in there'll be a point where you'll work more hours than is you know that you that you normally do there's there's something uh-huh. that, that happens where you have to just work work longer hours to get the work done or you risk losing your job why why are we so ex- interested in crunch in in kind of 2020 2019 with kind of these AAA games, when this is something that's clearly been going on, and I'll just use you know the, the Doom example or video games, pretty much since the beginning. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that all has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes... 
it doesn't quite work. And you you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off. The <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out the Gaming Blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now. That that's a tough question too. And I mean it brings up an interesting point because when I was younger, I worked as a laborer on a construction site. My father was an engineer. And the summer that I was the laborer, we were reaching the end of the project. So we had a punch list and we had to hit a certain date. We had to have everything done by a certain date. And the punch list is mostly menial things, but it was, you know, it could have been you have to finish, you know, installing the doors, checking the you know, water systems, all stuff like that. But it took a lot of time. And it didn't matter if I'd go to work at five o'clock in the morning. Typically, I should have punched out at around four o'clock. There were days I was there five to 10 o'clock. And I mean, that by definition was crunch. Mm-hmm. And that typically went on for a couple of weeks because, I mean, jobs fall behind because, you know, you have bad weather, you can't do certain construction work. And I mean, it is, I guess it's, it's standard in a lot of industries, but because it's standard, does that does that make it right? Does that make it does that make it you know okay to exist? Right. Is I, I think that's like the bigger question. Like just because it's standard practice, doesn't mean it is acceptable. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's acceptable. Don't get me wrong. I, right. My, right. My, my point is, you know, these articles that that keep coming out, they're enlightening they're kind of interesting to get a little look inside the inner workings of the company but is it really surprising i mean the the only the only kind of i mean even indie studios right i mean indie studios are a small they're lean they're lightweight they they get things done they usually will hit their targets but Look, you can't tell me that an indie studio that's trying to to meet a deadline isn't crunching, you know, the last couple of weeks to get get things done. I think it's 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 a part of the industry and it's it's fine to bring these articles out, but like like you said, Nate, I mean, I think unless something drastically changes, I don't really see this being something that goes away anytime soon. I think we're going to see more and more of these these kind of exposés come out. And I think that, honestly, um, it, it's not something that, that can be solved. I mean, I think it's really just, it's a part of the culture almost. And I hate to say that because, you know, it, that's not something that I necessarily agree with. But I think it, it's really something that we just are going to assume is, is happening in most, you know, most game developers out there. Right. I think... One aspect that is leading to a lot of the recent articles about like this topic is I think some people, they finally realize that there's a lot of CEOs. It's these bigger publishers that seem to be exploiting the hard work of all those employees. Like we see Activision CEO, Bobby Kotick, Bobby Kotick makes something like in the range of $30 million a year. He's not a developer. He's a businessman. And he's and then we see Activision lay off 
1,500 people because they had a slow quarter. Mm -hmm. But you still sold 20 million copies of Call of Duty. And I think it's it's that capitalistic disconnect I think people are seeing now where it's, that's not right. When this industry was new and it was young in the 80s, early 90s, where it really started up and coming, where you had like, you had Carmack and that team make Doom. It was a group of scrappy, rambunctious kids yeah. making their passion project where they weren't, they weren't filed by the business men in suits saying, we're going to crunch the numbers and we're going to pay you low wages, demand numerous hours of work so we can reap the benefits of your hard effort. I think that's kind of why we see this topic come up a little more. I mean, CD Projekt Red, we know they have crunch. We really don't have a full idea of how they treat their employees, you know, wages, benefits, and all of that. Because we have seen the budgets of some of their games, and their budgets are incredibly low Mm -hmm. compared to what we see from most Western studios. And then, I mean, like, look at, I'll use Call of Duty as another example. Call of Duty has how many studios working on it at any given time? I think it's like five. Five, maybe six. Yeah, and it'd be like Neversoft. It's like all these companies that Activision acquired who were previously known for other genres, like the Tony Hawk series. All of a sudden, they're making multiplayer maps. And they have thousands of people working on these games. And all of a sudden, it just sells a little below expectation. And Activision's there with the axe to shut down a studio. Yeah. And like I think that's why we see a lot more of these exposés on crunch and the working conditions for especially Western developers. Because I don't want to necessarily throw a company like Naughty Dog under the bus and not bring to light how it is an industry-wide problem. Even though Nintendo came out and said, oh, we're delaying Animal Crossing due to crunch or to avoid crunch. Crunch is also a very real thing in Japan. Mm-hmm. Because Japan does pride itself on kind of like the honor system. You, yeah. I mean, we've seen Nintendo's own Sakurai. He's gone to the gym and passed out from exhaustion because he's working on Smash Brothers. Now, I mean, I can come back to he's choosing to work on that himself. He's working himself to the bone. If he chooses that for himself and it's not being dictated to him, who am I to say it's wrong? Right. And that's, I mean, I think that is kind of, that's where we're kind of at. Like, I'll even go back to Hugo Martin with his work on Doom Eternal. If to him it's a lifestyle, if it's something he lives and breathes, if he loves having the game on his mind 24-7, as long as he's not being told by management that you have to do this, I'm in no position to say he's incorrect to feel that way. I'm also in no position to say the junior employee who's being told to work 75 hours a week for the next four months is wrong to feel burnt out. Yeah. The thing about Hugo, um, Hugo is Hugo Martin, you said? Is that Yes. Yeah. So I don't know how, how old that dude is, but let's ask him again in 10 years after, um, you know, he's shipped a couple more games, whether he still feels the same way. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm What I'm saying is, you know, Doom Eternal right now is 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 a hot commodity, but there's going to be the next game that is going to take X number of years to build, and then there's going to be the game after that. You know, are you still going to feel the same way about about your role? You know, in a couple of years after a couple more games have been shipped, you know, you're still going to have that excitement, or you're going to still 
feel like, you know, maybe it's time I uh, I scale things back a little bit and stop working ludicrous hours at night because I've I've worked right. with, I've worked with with developers before that man they they they, they write code at two a.m. because they that's what they want to do you know they love doing that no one's asking them to do that it's like hey um, after midnight I've I've got my headphones on and I'm writing code till like four in the morning that's great buddy but that's not something that I'm interested in and I think <laughs> I think you know. It goes back to what you said, you know, crunch crunch can be okay for some people because they kind of live the lifestyle life cycle or the, sorry, live the lifestyle of crunch, but some of us, you know, don't really subscribe to that and I think a lot of, you know, the junior the juniors at Naughty Dog certainly didn't. Now like what would you say is what what is the necessary action from a consumer if you don't support crunch in the industry and you have a release like The Last of Us part two coming up like what would you tell the consumer who doesn't want to support that because i mean as i said on the spawncast over the weekend every company on the earth is exploiting somebody in some way whether it is to get precious earth minerals yes the backbones of just workers for shipping of you know anything every company is exploiting somebody but in the case of a video game i guess you could say it's a little more transparent especially when you have articles like this come out if you want to show respect to the worker and you want to boycott the game or you just like, what's the best way to show support to those developers who have had to crunch? Would you say you boycott the game, you buy it used, or do you still buy the game new because you want to by buying the game, you're showing that I appreciate all the effort you did put into this. Well, first of all, let's forget about boycotts because they never work. I mean, Let's right, I mean, Pokemon. Po- Pokemon. Got I mean, Pokemon <laughs> yeah. got boycotted. It, I'm saying that in air quotes, and look how many copies it sold and how many millions it made. Boycotts don't mean anything. They don't work. I honestly, I mean, I think there's different ways to communicate your your feelings and opinions to to the you know the company. And I'm not saying get on Twitter and start you know um, sending Neil Druckmann you know nasty tweets. I do think that there is a way to 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 you know relay your concerns about something in a in a kind of typical fashion but honestly man short of not buying the game there's not really anything else and everyone's still going to buy the game anyway so it's a very very difficult one I mean Shrey's article was was definitely enlightening and it did ruffle Druckmann's feathers. I mean, he did respond, although, albeit in a very interesting way, basically beating his <laughs> chest and saying, you know, we make the best games in the world and I'm proud of the team. And sure, I mean, that's that's what you're going to say as, as the head of the company or head of the studio. But how do you, how do you kind of stop, stop it without kind of boycotting? It, that's a real difficult one to answer because, you know, I've been waiting for that game for many years. You have. We're both going to play it. It's going to sell millions and millions of copies. No one's going to boycott the game, even though there is a, you know, issue with management at that company. It's really just, I don't know, man. Like it, that, that. That's 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 one I really don't know the answer to. I think I think there's there's some some things that that we could probably think about trying to do, but at the end of the day it's going to sell a bunch of copies and 
you know, a couple of years from now or even even six months from now after the game's been released, no one's going to remember the crunch. Everyone's going to remember how amazing the game is and it's going to be up for a game of the game of the year, you know, contender and stuff like that. Right. I mean, as soon as Red Dead Redemption 2 released, nobody remembered the crunch article. No yeah. one remembered the stories of how workers were not being valued or treated well. It was the game's out and that was the end of that discussion, which I mean, I guess that kind of speaks to the gaming community as, you know, a whole. It's we have the community has a short term memory. It's news today. It's forgotten tomorrow, which I mean, I think it's not that's not just, you know, limited to the video game industry or the video game community. It's it's a societal problem where our just our attention spans and us holding an interest in a topic just fades very quickly. So. What do you think the industry, I think within the next 10 years, the industry undergoes a major shift in the means that game development is handled in the Western Mm -hmm. areas between America and especially Europe. I do think we see developers try to unionize and we will see some companies who will just come out and put new work practices in place, probably definitely within the next 10 years. What do you see happening for the industry to combat this problem and to change the status quo? Or do you think certain CEOs and the heads of these companies are going to resist for as long as possible until you have that one company kind of come into place and then you're going to have that domino effect? I think they're going to resist, you know, and I hate to say it. I just feel like, you know, there's been success with these games as far as making money so much money on these games uh-huh. that why why change it you know um and even even if you want to change it is it even possible like back to naughty dog if you read the schreier article they talked about how when they started the last of us 2 they were ahead of the game they already did a lot of things early on and they kind of set themselves up for you know uh, to do less hours or to just to do regular hours, I should say, as the pro- as the project kind of went through its life cycle. But to your point, they started adding scope and, and features and it really kind of blew things out. And then, you know, people started to get disgruntled and start to leave. So, you know, I don't think it's it's that much needs to change. I mean, unionizing, sure, that, that, may, that may be something that, that happens, but... It really goes back to management, man. Like one of the things I read about Naughty Dog is that they they kind of don't have a um, a production team. They they don't deliberately don't have production teams, and the reason why is because they want their developers to be creative. And usually, if they're creative, and you know it gets uh, okayed by you know Druckmann, then the the creative thing that they've done usually gets into the game so that they really want to you know get get their people being creative and making sure that um they do the best they can and i kind of respect that but i mean for god's sake man you know you, you don't have a production team at naughty dog that that to me that sounds like is that's what the root cause of the problem is right there you know because the production team is supposed to be you know the team that kind of glues and, and keeps all the different 
uh, cross-functional teams together. You know, you've got your artists, you've got your coders, you've got your engine programmers, you've got your uh, animators, you've got your VFX people. I mean, all these all these teams are supposed to be kind of synchronizing with each other and getting things done. And that's what a production team will do. I mean, that that's what their role is. Their, their, their role is to have their finger on the pulse of the project. You know, if there's any issues that they, they raise them immediately with, with upper management and it really, you know, helps, helps the project, you know, run its course. And they're the ones that are ultimately on the hook for, you know, where uh, we're on track or we're maybe a couple of weeks behind it. They're the ones that kind of report status to, you know, the, the, the kind of the executives or, you know, the Druckmans of the world as well. So why wouldn't they have a production team or, you know, project management or whatever you want to call it? And I think, I think you know, for Naughty Dog, that type of approach has worked for them for such a long time because they've made some amazing games. But, you know, I, I'm not saying, that, you know, we need to unionize, but really take a look at your, your management structure again and, and maybe, you know, put more emphasis on, on good management before you you know try anything else because i think once you have a good management structure in place then things tend to fall into place a lot better and i'm not not saying that it's going to be you know completely uh, on on track for you know getting your game out on the first release date that you had planned but if something's going to slip then usually those things are understood and identified very quickly so things can change you know, appropriately with um, the amount of resources or, or whatever you need to do. Maybe you need to cut some scope from the project, you know, just bring it back a little bit, you know, um, or, or not. And I think at the end of the day, getting a good management structure is the most important thing that, that they can do. And certainly, you know, these other companies that we've heard of as well with, you know, with excessive crunch, I think that's really the, the key thing. So not to make this exclusive about Naughty Dog, <laughs> Who would you pin more blame crunch the pin blame of crunch on the publisher or the developer? Because we know publishers set sometimes unrealistic release dates and the developer is sitting there saying, well, we have to get the game out in 24 months because they announced the release date at E3. So we have to get the game out. Let's say, you know, May of 2020, we have two years. Now we fall behind. It's not the, I mean, the developer obviously relayed some information to the publisher to say, this is what we're targeting. But as we've seen with someone like George R. R. Martin, mm-hmm. he can't hit a publication date with a book. Even if he gives you a decade, he delays his books, you know, pretty much religiously. Yeah. So who would you pin more of the blame for crunch on the publisher or the developer in some cases? Uh, I think it goes both ways. It, it really depends, you know, sure. I mean, I think if the publisher sets unrealistic expectations or deadlines on when they want the game that is obviously something that would be blamed or put on the publisher but i also feel like you know the developer needs to put their hand up and say look that's just not possible we can't do that and here are the reasons why i mean i think if you come back to the table with some good you know solid timelines and and some solid technical you know, breakdown of, of cost and time and it's something that's kind of unrefutable, then then I think that's okay. And, and, and maybe 
maybe these developers are saying, oh, we can do that. You know, we're going to have to push hard. It's, it's, a, it's an aggressive timeline, but we can get there. So then does that fall on, does the problem then kind of, or the blame get shifted to the developer for basically taking on that work? It's, it's, not, a, it's mm-hmm. not a cut and dry thing, Nate. I think, I think honestly, both, both parties will, would share some of the blame in that regard. I mean, we don't know what the original dates were for some of these things, right? Um, or we don't know right. what discussions went on. And we're not just talking about Naughty Dog, but in general about, you know, what what the publishers yeah. are expecting. But I think if the publishers want something, we'll say by Christmas, and the developers saying, oh, we've we got to push, we've got to push hard, you know, we've got to bring some more bodies on, but we can we can make it work. I mean, you better damn well you know be sure that you have the appropriate you know contingency in place to make that happen or you know you you haven't factored in that people are going to be working 60 hour weeks to get there and again it goes back to just that poor management that i talked about where you know it's it's like yeah we can do that but you don't really consider the individual you don't consider people and and their their personal feelings on the matter it's really just more of a a resource thing rather than a than a people thing, and that's where it gets very very dangerous. And I think that's where things break down ultimately. Right. I mean, that's I can see some developers. You know, will use will use like a movie tie-in because you know that's contract work. It's hey, we want you to make a Black Widow game, mm-hmm. and say we want it out by the holiday, or even you know a tie-in with the movie release. And often those developers, I mean, those games usually are not high quality. And the reason for that is you typically, you know, you churn them out in about 24 to 30 months. And I mean, that's a risky situation because I as the developer, I want that contract. I'm going to promise you I'm going to hit that date. If I say "Eh, I might need an extra three months, I'm probably not getting that contract. But I mean, that's hopefully you do have proper management who does relay accurate information to the publisher who's seeking, you know, to make that type of contract deal. But like I was just looking at The Last of Us Part Two. And it was originally dated for February 21st of 2020. And within weeks, it was delayed until May. So to me, that February 21st date never should have been announced because like they pl- were never hitting that. It's like a placeholder almost, you know, yeah. like when it's Amazon way- puts a release date on, on right. a game that you know that they're not, it's not even a real. So like, why did Sony and Naughty Dog even communicate to each other? That, the fe- that February 21st was even possible. It clearly was not. Because I they delayed that, I think, what, less than 10 days after they announced the date. Yeah. So it was almost like they were just like, we haven't given an update on this game in a while. We have to give a general idea. What's the earliest you guys think you could have the game done? Uh, February. Mm-hmm. And then Sony took their internalized pencil then release date and said, okay, we're going to announce it. And then they're like, you know what, guys, we just announced it. Never mind. We're definitely not hitting that. Like that didn't do any favors for the situation of crunch because they came out and said, oh, we need more time. We're not crunching. We just need a few more weeks to really polish out all those bugs. And then we find out you've you've been crunching for months. Yeah. So like they really, you, if you just don't announce that date, you go silent, you announced the May 29th date as the only date, you may have gotten a little understanding from the community but that just it that looks like it's another example of poor management it's either naughty dog was misleading sony 
or Sony was like, we're dating your game. We're tired of waiting type of situation. Yeah. And and I don't know if we'll ever know the answer, you know, to that one. That's, that's, that's an interesting one. Did Sony really just run with, with a, a date that they were told without really spending the time to get some good information on whether that was realistic or not? Or did, you know, Naughty Dog just give them, give them a date and say, here you go, we think we can get this done. Either way you, get, either way you look at it, it doesn't look good. You know, it's, it's, it's very, very, very obvious that that date was never going to make it. Right. And I mean, that's, that's disturbing because like, as you were saying, internally release dates or at least release windows are always penciled in and those penciled in dates always change. What is true, you know, on Monday is probably no longer accurate come Friday with internalized release dates. Cause I mean, we even saw it with Nintendo when they had to delay Metroid prime four early last year you know internally they had a release date probably penned in for the holiday of 2020 for mm-hmm. that game and then all of a sudden this is saying we're starting development completely over this time with retro studios well now that internal release date means nothing they planned probably probably up to early 2021 in terms of games in the pipeline and now that's a huge hole you can't just sit there and go to, you know, I'll say the Mario team say, we need your next game ready for holiday 2020 because development doesn't work like that. You can't just speed up a game, you know, a 12 month cycle. You just, now you just have a void. And it's just, it's weird to me that it seems like Sony was just, they just seem to be dilly dallying or Naughty Dog was over promising and under delivering because in development, they have we have milestones, and every time you usually hit a milestone, the developer gets a a payout or a reward of some type from the publisher, and those are usually as incentives to keep you know morale high. When The Last of Us Part Two got delayed, they had to have missed a milestone almost immediately. Yes, and that's where like that's where it's just it. It's just bewildering how how a release date gets announced and immediately changes. Like, what did you deliver to Sony where they sat there and said, we have to delay this game? Or what did Naughty Dog relay to Sony and just say, We're, we have to delay it? Like, look at what we showed you. It's not ready. Because, I mean, no publisher wants to come out and date a game and immediately delay it. So that looks bad on you as a company. After uh, Red Dead Redemption came out, do you remember when Ubisoft came out and said that Assassin's Creed Odyssey was built without crunch and they were very proud of that? Yep. What did you make of that as far as what they said? Because they basically came out and said, you know, we can deliver a game without without burning out. And, you know, since then, obviously, they've delayed a lot of stuff and they've been pretty (laughs) quiet, you know, and we expect them to come out this year with, with some new titles or well, the titles I was supposed to come out with a couple of years ago. But do you think their approach to this is is the right approach where you basically just say, look, we're not going to make the date on these games, guys. Um, we'll, we'll return when we're ready to announce. And they've been pretty quiet for a while. Do you, do you think that's the way that, that Naughty Dog should approach you know, their games as far as delays and 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 
target dates? I think ultimately Ubisoft has the right idea. I mean, they kind of fumbled it because they had announced so many games at that point. And then all of a sudden, like we were, what, only a few months away from Watch Dogs 3 release date when they were like, we're delaying it a full year. Like, so you were never hitting your original release with that. And then we had the, um, that mythical game, was it Gods and Gods, Monsters? Gods and Monsters, yeah. That was supposed to come out now. And that is delayed until later in the year. And then you have the Assassin's Creed. I think had they not given any type of release expectation for those games and they said, we're taking our time, the games are ready when they're ready, that is a good business practice. It's kind of what we see from Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Nintendo very rarely, these days at least, announce a game well in advance only to delay it. Like We saw it with Animal Crossing. We also saw it with Fire Emblem. And they typically do try to avoid that. And they avoid it by announcing games usually within about a six-month window. So reveal to release it's about a six it's about six months, maybe a little longer in some cases, sometimes significantly less. Like we saw Ring Fit Adventure, I believe it was announced only about six weeks before it actually launched. And that I like that idea from a consumer standpoint where it's announced and it's almost immediately coming out. So that hype level is basically running through that whole time leading to release, and you can't wait to get the game. Then to have a game announced like the last of us part two and then or even final fantasy 7 remake where it's announced four years Mm -hmm. five years in advance and you wait you wait you get an update you wait it's delayed you get an update it's delayed i don't see how that is good for really anybody involved but i guess what we run the risk of if we do this silent path that ubisoft seems to to basically be embracing now is that if we're waiting in some cases for smaller companies, if we have to wait four, five, six years for a new game, I don't know how the industry and the audience responds to that much silence. Yeah. And I think that that can be dangerous because if it seems like there's nothing coming out for long stretches of time, what do you do to offset that? Like, if Naughty Dog's next game, let's say they don't announce it until eight months before it comes out, people are going to wonder for five years what they're doing. And yeah. we see that now with Nintendo. And prior to Metroid Prime 4, people wondered, what is Retro Studios doing? But what if it was I mean, five years of working nine to five and not crunching on the game? Would that make people feel any better? I think... I think the consumer who is invested in caring about this topic would feel better about it. And what about the rabid I mean, PlayStation the, fanboy though? They won't care. Right. Right. They won't care. And I would hope that the health and happiness and morale of the employees working at the studios feel better about that saying, I go to work, I do nine to five It's a 40 hour week. Yeah. It's going to take five, six years for my game to come out, but I'm not being overworked. I'm not being stressed out. I'm not, you know, I'm not to the point of depression because I just cannot take the stress of work anymore. And I think like I think we're at that interesting crossroad where will the community and audience care enough to see the health and safety of the employees be taken care of over their needs of 
a hype trailer and that constant flow of information to keep them excited. Like, mm -hmm. I think, like, personally, if a developer is silent for five years and that's because they're working nine to five and they're a happy studio and they're putting passion and love into the project and I just don't hear of your game until it's 10 months out from release, I'm fine with that. I don't, I don't need to see a logo of a game in 2020 that's not coming out to 2025. Announce your game in 2025. That's, that's fine. I mean, we have a lot of indie studios today. There's always a game coming out. We have, if anything, we have too many games coming out in a given year where a lot are, you know, they fly under the radar. People don't even notice them because we're always looking forward to that next big game. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff in this industry that we can still love if maybe we're not always blinded by the neon light of the next big thing. Yeah. But also, if I'm a, if I'm a console manufacturer, you know, I'll say the next Halo game after Halo Infinite, if that's going to take six years to come out, is my Series X even going to be on shelves at that point? Right. That's a great point. I mean, if you if you take too much time, you run the risk of missing that generation altogether and onto the next one. And all of a sudden you're behind the eight ball because you don't even know what the the next generation is and you don't know what really what you're building towards as far as the target hardware. Right. So I mean in like in summary, what would you say is, in your opinion, the best course of action for the industry in terms of like the health and care of their employees in terms of development cycles at this point? I think for me, it's get a good management structure in place in general is the key. If you don't have, if you have a bunch of yes men in middle management, then get rid of them. Find, find managers that, that truly embrace their employees and that, and I mean both contractors and full-time people, even part-time people that work, you know, X number of hours a week. It doesn't matter if you're a part of the team, you're working on the project in whatever capacity, you're a part of that team and you should have a manager or a management structure that supports you and what you do. And I think for me, if, if any of this is, is, you know, the missing link, it's get that, get a solid management foundation in place get people that genuinely are about people not about deliverables and deadlines you know mm -hmm. em empower your your workers to do the best they can and reward them appropriately you know pay them what what they deserve to be paid reward them when they they, they do good things and really genuinely make them a part of the team not just a body that's working on vfx that that no one cares about you know that ends up leaving after a couple of months so yeah get get a solid management structure in place and and i think things will will kind of work themselves out now that's that's a little simplified but i mean that's probably the first first thing that i would look for and i think if you go and look at any of these kind of employees that have left companies due to crunch it's always been you know, my manager said I have to stay back and, and work on this or the expectation from management was we had to do this. It, it always leads back to, you know, your superiors or their superiors. And I think get the right right folks in place and I think the problem will ultimately, you know, solve itself. Yeah, that's nicely put. 
And with that, we have come to the end of this week's Nate the Hate. Once again, I thank MVG for joining me. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Always great to have you on. And for everyone listening, if you liked the video, give it a like. If you didn't, give it a dislike. Leave your thoughts in the comment section below, and I will give them a read. And forever and always continue to embrace the hate.